to worship him. Thanks, Matt. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 22 and go all the way through the end of the chapter. I grew up with a kind of weird connections to wrestling or wrestling as it should be pronounced. I've talked with you uh, a little bit this week trying to come up with some catchy sermon titles for this, but I couldn't do it, so this is the one I, I got, Blessed with a Limp. Uh, I grew up wrestling pillows on Travis Gray's trampoline. If you don't know Travis, but I defeated those pillows. I can proudly say no pillow ever pinned me. In fact, Travis and I one time called QVC when we were nine, which you have to be 18 or older to call. Uh, to try to order a championship belt, and they quickly cut on that we were not 18, but more importantly, we didn't have enough money to buy a belt, so they didn't let us have them. Uh, when in, in Amarillo, there went one of the Olympics, I can't remember which one, but there was a guy named Brandon Slay who won the gold medal in the Olympics for wrestling. He actually got bronze or silver, and then after the Olympics, they found out whoever beat him cheated, and so they took his medal away and they gave it to him, but he never got to stand, but he was the champion of the world. Uh, and I watched some of their wrestling stuff, and theirs is not as fun as, as like WWE or WWF. Those are the, the good wrestling. I grew up with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Goldberg, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Rey Mysterio was a favorite, but I could never fly like him. Dwayne the Rock Johnson before he got famous. Uh, did you know that Diamond Dallas Page has yoga videos that he sells now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is all true. You can order them if you would like. Uh, he advertises them as Nacho Mama's yoga, but my mom doesn't do yoga, so I don't really understand what he's saying. And then growing up, uh, if, you, if you get this reference, you're going to be impressed. If you don't get this reference, it's going to fly right over your head. Terry Funk was a family friend of the Moors. I know Terry Funk before he passed away. He's a great man. When my dad got cancer, he would do a bunch of stuff for my family. He'd show up at things so that more people would show up. And so uh, I have this weird connection with wrestling of all things, and this passage for me has just been awesome to read through and study this week because I've been thinking all along just these these images of Jacob and God in this wrestling match, just throwing down and God suplexing Jacob, and, and I get frustrated with Jacob, so it's been fun for me just to imagine him getting pummeled into the dirt with God dropping the elbow from the top rope. And so it's been a fun passage to think about, and it's an odd passage, and it's a passage of Scripture that, that even if you're not a believer, even if you've never really opened your Bible, it's one that's around culture enough that, that most even non-Christians know kind of what this story is. And so as we get into this, I want, I want to read the passage, but I, I don't want the main point to slip away from us because it, it easily can because there's so many kind of unique and odd things happening here. The main point of this passage is that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's a great message until we realize that we're almost always proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when humility comes, whether it's willingly or unwillingly, what that humility does is it always creates in us a dependence on the Lord. And when we have a dependence on God, we have hope. So let's pray, and then I want us to just dive into this passage. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we do get to gather together. God, I thank you that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That, God, we can reflect on the gospel of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of, of you, Jesus. 
God, I thank you that we can come to this passage and we can look at, at you wrestling Jacob and what that means and, and why you change his name and, and what is going on in this, this popular, popular yet, yet odd section of scripture. God, I pray that you would humble us, that you would help us to depend on you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 32 verse 22 the same night when he uh, the same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok he took them and he sent them across to the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone I want to pause halfway through that that verse so We've seen Jacob's life as we've been walking through Genesis. And one of the things we've pointed out with Jacob over and over is that his life is just defined with this wrestling and this fighting that takes place. In the womb, he wrestles Esau. When he comes out, he's holding Esau's heel. So they name him Jacob, which means heel grabber, which carries it to the idea of like a deceiver. You're trying to trip somebody up so that you can get ahead of them. And then Jacob sells red stew to his brother Esau to steal his birthright and Esau was being dramatic but it's also Jacob trying to get this blessing from uh, this birthright from Esau and then Isaac his dad's going to give the blessing and and Jacob lies so does I mean everybody in the family that story is just marred with sin but but Jacob lies to get the blessing and Esau is so angry with Jacob that he wants to kill Jacob it's the only way he feels like his anger is going to be appeased and so Jacob flees and he meets his uncle Laban and he wrestles with Laban for 20 years. They fight over daughters and flocks and wages and what should be on the TV. They fight about everything. And then finally, Jacob leaves. 20 years later, he's had enough. And so what we see in this passage is Jacob, the Jabbok is the, the border for Canaan, the promised land. And so when Jacob gets there, he, he, he's got past Laban, right? They covenant, they've, they've solidified their relationship, but his past comes back to haunt them. That's typically the way sin works. It comes back up in, in, in harmful ways. We can pretend like it's not there. We can pretend like it's in the past. But, but sin always kind of has some claws into the future. And so coming back to the promised land, getting away from Laban, he knows that his relationship with Esau is something that he has to tend to. And so he... he, he like these wrestlings is, is what Jacob's life is all about. So he's leaving Esau. He's left the desert, coming to the land. Of, he's, he's resorted to all of these different things, using his cleverness, his deceptiveness to kind of set about. He's scared of Esau. He sent his messengers to Esau. If you remember that, Esau's coming back with a small army, 400 people ready to attack and to fight Jacob. And so Jacob sets his family into two camps. He puts half here, half here, and then whoever Jacob or whoever Esau attacks, the other one can flee. But then we see in this moment, he takes his, his intermediate family. And he puts them across the river too, presumably to get one step further away from Esau. Like Esau has Jacob scared. He's doing absolutely everything within his power to get further away from this guy. He sent him gifts upon gifts. He's done this in waves to kind of overwhelm Esau with gratitude. But he is legitimately frightened of him. And so what we see when we get to this passage, and where I want us to sit for just a second, is, is to recognize that Jacob is now alone. 
everybody else is away from him. He's got his two camps. He's got his family across the river. Jacob is alone in the desert at nighttime. There's no electricity. There's no companions. He's got no families. He's got no iPhone. He's got nothing with him. It's just Jacob alone in the desert. Let's think about the way the Lord works often. Often it's in moments like where Jacob is at, when everything is falling apart and you're just left alone. It's in those moments the Lord tends to grab hold of our hearts and begin working on us. This isn't the main point of the passage, so I don't want to like expound and get into all of those things. But, but, but there is something very valuable for us to see with Jacob being alone. And there is something for us in our culture and our point in history that we need to be reminded of. That it is healthy and it is good for us to set aside intentional times to be alone with the Lord. So let, let me just ask, when was the last time we, you shut your phone off, you unplugged from the world, you went into a still, quiet place and just prayed to the Lord for 30 minutes? Don't let life get so busy that you neglect the most important part. But that's not the main point, so I want to dwell there. Verse 24, the, the second half. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint And he rest, as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob, alone, at dark, frightened. He's scared that Esau is coming to attack him. He's put everything valuable away. He's tried to set up everything by his own cunningness by his own mind which we know Jacob is pretty good at and then all of a sudden I love that the story is just like bam this dude shows up and starts wrestling Jacob there's no build up to it there's no hint that there's anybody else there Jacob's alone and then just boom tackled and he starts wrestling this guy and we have no idea who it is all it says is a man wrestled with him just shows up out of nowhere there's a lot of ambiguity, especially at this point in the story of who is Jacob wrestling? Who is Jacob fighting with? We've just read about all of Esau's stuff. Did Esau get there quicker than we thought and see his brother and just dive tackling from behind? There's a lot of important things for us to, to see with this story. First, it's dark, so Jacob really can't tell who he's wrestling. His flashlight batteries are dead. That's right, there's not any. And it's also important for us to remember it's night. And oftentimes, those sleepless nights are where the Lord really gets a hold of us. And so, if we keep reading, what we see happening is it's a close wrestling match until the guy who's wrestling Jacob touches his hip socket and pops his hip out of socket. He dislocates it, thus securing a victory. I'm not much of a wrestler, I like watching wrestling, but I would imagine if you can't pivot on your hip, you're going to get beat. And so Jacob, with a bad hip, realizes he can't win the fight. So what does Jacob do? Grabs the guy and he holds him. He doesn't let go. 
And the guy goes, get off me. The sun is coming up. I'm leaving. And Jacob's like, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. That's what Jacob's done his whole life. He wrestles people, and then he finagles these situations where they give him a blessing just to get rid of him. But, but what we see and, and what Jacob knows is that everything is beginning to change because he's starting to realize who he's wrestling. Think about it. Who with the touch of a finger could pop a hip socket out of place? Who is Jacob seeking a blessing from? It's going to be answered in the next few, few verses for us. But in this moment, Jacob is just clinging to this guy, holding on with all of his physical power, all of his cunningness, all of his deceptive works. They don't matter anymore because he's lost his physical prowess. If he lets go and the guy runs, how could Jacob ever catch him? If Esau comes running towards Jacob at this moment in time, how could Jacob ever get away from Esau? His hip is broke. It's out of socket. Jacob... All he can do is just cling to whoever he's fighting. And he holds on as tight as he can. He wants a blessing, and he kind of knows who he's seeking a blessing from. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of that place Penel, which means, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So Jacob, clinging to this guy, they've been wrestling all night. It's two sweaty men in the middle of the desert talking to each other. And Jacob's like, what's your name? Or the guy says to Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. But remember what Jacob means. Deceiver. Heel grabber. It's Jacob admitting to his character. This is not just my name, it's who I am. And so the man changes Jacob's name. He says, you're no longer Jacob the heel grabber. You're Israel because you've striven with God and with men and prevailed. And suddenly Jacob realizes he knows exactly who he's wrestling with. It's God. So knowing that it's God who Jacob has wrestled with, he can, we can look back and realize that Jacob was allowed to stay in the match because God could have obliterated Jacob with one super punch to the face. But by God's grace, he doesn't. But what we also see with Jacob is he needs more than just a name change. He needs a character change. He needs to be renewed. Now, now we, we know from earlier accounts that Jacob is already a believer. And that he spent a lot of his life trusting in two things. His cleverness and his deception. But then there's these moments, these glimpses where Jacob trusts in the Lord for things. And so what God is doing now, right, he's changing his name to Jacob. Which means you've wrestled with God and, and prevailed. And so Jacob is beginning to realize what's happening, what's going on. And so Jacob says, well, well what's your name? Because if you know someone's name, it's a form of, of, of controlling them, of owning them. When God created Adam, he named Adam, and then Adam named all the animals so that he had to have dominion over the animals. And God won't tell Jacob his name. In fact, did you know in Scripture, God doesn't reveal his name until Moses? 
when he says, I am. And so God blesses Jacob. We're not told the specific blessing, but it probably is related to the other blessings that we've seen. The blessing of land, the blessing of offspring, the protection that God has already covenanted with Jacob. And then Jacob calls the, le- the place Pen- Peniel, which means the face of God. Because he saw God face to face and he was delivered. There are numerous places in scripture where people are protected from God's face. Moses, Ezekiel. Because if they saw God's face in his full glory while still sinful, they would be destroyed. Yet God has grace and mercy on Jacob and coming in the night, disguising himself and not completely destroying Jacob. And Jacob recognizes this. And so when the sun comes up, Jacob leaves, and Jacob leaves with a limp. Why? God absolutely has the power to heal Jacob all the way. In fact, it's God who popped the hip out with his touch. So why does Jacob leave with a limp? Why doesn't God just fix it and allow Jacob to continue walking? Instead, God changes his name but not fixes his hip? That flies in the face of most of the Christianity in America. Because when we say bless, typically what we mean when we say bless is we have good health, we have enough money in the bank account, or life is somewhat easy or easier than we think it should be. God has just blessed me. When the Bible talks about blessing, it's something completely different. In the Bible, blessing is something that draws you closer to God. Say that again. A blessing is something that draws you closer to God. Jacob needed a limp to be drawn closer to God. And this is huge for Jacob. Because what it does now is those two sources of trust that Jacob has, his cunningness, his cleverness, and then also the Lord, it destroys one of them. He is left only able to hope in the Lord. He can't outrun Esau now. Instead, he's forced having to trust the Lord in those things. He was saved. He wrestled with this God, trusting God, trusting himself. That's what he wrestled with. And so God removes that obstacle by giving Jacob a limp. And if we're honest in our lives, if that's the way our lives went, where we wrestle with God and we leave with a limp, we would never call that a blessing. But for Jacob, it's this aha moment. He's grown in maturity in the Lord. Jacob trusts God more now because of his limp than he did beforehand. And he receives a new name, which reflects his new character, and he has a limp that forces him to depend on God. Verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Remember, Moses is the human author of of Genesis, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the human author. And the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness as Moses is writing this, helping them answer questions like, where are we from? How did we get here? How did we get in Egypt? Why did Pharaoh let us go? Where are we going? And one of the questions the kids are going to ask is, why can't we eat the hip? And Moses goes, this is why. And it becomes a teaching moment for all of Israel. 
that Jacob wrestled with God. And this is where we're Israelites. They're not Jacobites. They're not Isaacites. They're not Abrahamites. They're Israelites. It becomes a moment where we see the scriptures show us what we should also be doing is teaching our kids not just what to do, but why they do it. It's great for us to teach our kids to obey. It's more important for us to teach our kids why we should obey. Let's also think about this. Jacob's on the outside looking into the land of Canaan, about to, to cross in and go to the promised land. And when Moses writes this, where are the Israelites? Outside of the promised land looking in. And we know the story when they get there, right? They, they show up ready to go into the promised land. They send 12 spies into the promised land, and they all come back except for two, Caleb and Joshua, and they say, there's giants there. Don't think we should fight this. Don't think we should do what God says. Caleb and Joshua say, no, 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 we should obey God, and he will fight the battle for us. Let's trust. Let's depend on the Lord. And the other 10 say, no, let's don't. And do you know what happens? Those 10 are killed, and then for 40 years, the Israelites spend wandering in the wilderness till that generation dies. Why didn't God just wipe that generation out right then and there and then let everybody else into the promised land? Same reason God didn't fix Jacob's dilemma. They needed 40 years to grow in the Lord and to learn to trust him when there was no food, there was no water, there was no home. Yet God provided all of those things for them. Collectively, they needed the same lesson that Jacob needed. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God of God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we think about a blessing, which is what is happening here, because of our culture, because of false teachers, because of just pure affluence in, in America, because of our natural sin tendencies, what we think of as a blessing is almost always something that makes our life easier, isn't it? It's more money. It's a better job. It's those extra grace-required people are further away from you than they used to be. Something happens that makes your life physically easier. Stress goes away. Whatever it is, we view blessings strictly in terms of how does this impact my immediate physical and emotional life. But what this passage shows us and what the Bible tells us about blessings is that we probably don't understand what God is saying when he says a blessing. Jacob has his name, his character changed, and then he walks with a limp, and that's a blessing for him, a grace. Not because it makes his life easier. In fact, it makes his life harder. Cars don't exist. There's no pain medication for Jacob. He can't pop two ibuprofen and, and keep on going. There's no recliner for Jacob to prop his feet up and just rest. He's going to be in this physical pain with this limp for the rest of his life, and it's a blessing from God. blessing because it brings him closer to God, not because it brings comfort to his life. See, blessings that, that are received are things that cause us to shift our focus of our life so that God is central. So sometimes those are good and awesome things that the Lord gives to us that we're like, this is awesome, this is great, this is a huge blessing. And sometimes blessings are things that we don't get or hard things that we receive that keep us from being too proud or too arrogant. 
See, Jacob with his limp can't rely on his cunningness anymore. His deceptiveness. He's forced to trust God more because he's been physically impaired. And we know that God could have healed Jacob, but he didn't. Because Jacob needed to struggle with God so that he could be molded, that he could be shaped by God, that he could get a new dad. So maybe for you, God is giving you a blessing that you've not seen as a blessing. Because we've spent our whole life thinking that blessings aren't hard things. Maybe God is giving you something that's forcing you to reevaluate everything in your life that you thought was important. Maybe it's you're like Jacob. You've been a believer for years, and God has done great things in you and through you and with you. You've led people to the Lord. You've taught various classes, and you've cooked a casserole at every potluck this church has ever had. But then those blessings come, and they shake you to your core. What's our response to those kinds of blessings? Is it anger at God? Why would you give me this? Look at all that I have done. I thought you were good. How could you do this, God? Is it anger at the church? Why are you treating me this way? Do you not know what I have done to keep the doors open? Is it anger at yourself? Why can't I get my junk together? If I would just act right, then God would take this away. Is it anger at other people? They're the problem. I need to get them out of my life. And if I can get them out of my life, then God is going to to take this, 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 not blessing, this struggle away from me. I've been influenced by the wrong people. Maybe it's anger at the Bible. God says things clearly in his word, but it's not working. And so I'm going to drift from the word and I'm going to claim to still be a believer, but I'm not going to follow after the word. Can I just give you a, a loving warning here? Experience and feelings will move you off of the word of God much quicker than any eloquent argument ever will. What about if you take that limp, that blessing, and you recognize that it is from God and is meant to draw you closer to Him? Doesn't make it easy, but it makes it matter. And we have every right to pray that God would take that away, but if He doesn't, praise God. And if He does, praise God. And we can pray, God, I, this hurts, and I don't think I can handle it. And I just, man, I'm just going to throw it out. I lovingly will tell you this. The phrase, God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle, is a lie straight from Satan himself. Absolutely, God will give you more than you can handle because it makes you dependent on him. If you can handle it, then you don't need God. Whatever the limp is, it's meant to cause us to realize we are finite and God is infinite. And God doesn't need your strength. God doesn't need your wit. God doesn't need your intelligence. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your humor. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God doesn't make the kingdom of God rise and fall on you and I. It rises and falls on Christ and him crucified. God doesn't need you. But you and I, we need God. There's a pastor who has a famous phrase. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Even if that means you limp for the rest of your life, God is still good.
and God is growing you in him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize we worship a savior who was nailed to a cross and killed? Jesus got some limps. Nails in his hands. That's what Thomas saw that helped him believe. I think it's funny that the two times culture will acknowledge Christianity are probably two of the most humble moments of Christ's life. His birth as an infant and nailed on a cross as a criminal. Yet we glory in those moments. Because the gospel is not about us doing better. It's not do more. It's not even do good or do less bad. The gospel is trust in Jesus to do the work for you and to do the work in you. And then we respond with whatever comes in life with humility, understanding that God is blessing you by drawing you to him by all sorts of means. So maybe God is drawing you to him right now for the first time. Maybe God is revealing to you that you've not been a believer, that you're not a believer, that you're not saved. I'd have to repent, believe in Jesus, pray right now where you're at, ask God to save you, and he will. Come and talk to me. Let's get you discipled. Maybe you're already a believer and God is drawing you in different ways. Maybe God is drawing you by bringing people to you who need to know Jesus. And man, they irritate you. But man, you know that they need Jesus. Maybe God is drawing you by challenging you to plug in and be a more active member of the local church. Man, maybe God is drawing you by calling you into ministry. Maybe God is, is drawing you to call sin, sin, to repent of it, and then to continue working in him. Maybe God is calling you to walk with a limp that is painful, that hurts, that limits what you can do. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, you will not stop serving him even in pain. Maybe God is calling you to cut some things out of your life so that you can have time to be alone with God, where you can prioritize family discipleship. You can prioritize the local church. Maybe God is calling you to recognize that if you are a Christian, you have a new life, you have a new name, right? Child of God. You're no longer to be looking like the world. You should look, act, and feel different. Maybe God is calling you to live out this new nature more clearly than you have been. I don't know specifically what the Lord is calling you to. But here's what I do know. The word has been proclaimed and God's word does not return void. The gospel calls us to action and to respond. So how will you do that this morning? Dependence on God is the only hope we have because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that we have opportunities even 